Hi, it's Ian Brody of ianbrody.com here and welcome to the More Clients podcast. With me today is Anthony Ianarino, who is an entrepreneur, a speaker, and who writes daily at thesalesblog.com. The reason I'm talking to Anthony is to share with you some things about LinkedIn that you probably may not have heard before. I think with LinkedIn, there's some fairly accepted best practices about what to make your profile look like, how to connect with other people, how to ask for referrals on LinkedIn and extend your network. But there are some areas, in particular how to use LinkedIn groups, where what works and what doesn't work is much less clear. I've had uh, I've heard advice ranging from you should go into groups and uh, put links to your blog posts, right through to you should never link to your blog post, you should only discuss and debate and interact with people. And I know people have had very, very mixed results with different sorts of strategies. But the one person I know who has had very good results is Anthony. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So first of all, welcome to the, the podcast, Anthony. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me. And uh, first of all, just to start off, what sort of results have you got from using LinkedIn groups? Uh, I've got a couple businesses and a couple different endeavors that I'm involved in, like probably many of people listening here. So I'll break this answer down into a, a couple different segments. So I own a couple staffing firms, and I'm also a consultant and a speaker. So I use it for both groups. But let's start with the consulting work first, where I'm an entrepreneur and a, a solopreneur, and I practice myself. So the sales blog is my main hub, and that's really where I'm trying to draw, drive traffic. So I use LinkedIn as an outpost for that hub, and I have my own group, B2B Sales Network, there that I manage. And then I'm a participant in um, a, something more than 40 other groups for that particular business. And what I've done to drive results through LinkedIn there, by managing my own group, and there's 6,000 members now, I have direct access to connect with anyone in that group that joins. And it's mostly my target audience. It's VPs of sales, it's salespeople, it's people who are concerned with what I write about and how I create value for other people. But the other groups are where I would place links. So that strategy of driving traffic through the groups by putting a link to a blog post there works really, really well for me. And it drives a lot of traffic back to the sales blog. It's not the best driver of traffic, which is still Google. Mm. But outside of Google and being um, having my posts retweeted and posted on Facebook, LinkedIn is a, a good traffic source. So it's brought me leads. And it's funny because in this space, I have people ask, you know, do you make money on LinkedIn? And do you make money using Twitter? And the answer is yes. I can, I can tell you that I have deals that have come specifically through LinkedIn and deals that have come specifically through Twitter because they found their way back to my main hub, found my content, and then reached out to me and developed that relationship. So that's one strategy that you might take that I've been able to operate effectively. I have had, I've seen a lot of people go and spend all their time in groups trying to build this credibility. And I've seen mixed results there where some people do better than others. But I, I think that like every social tool that we have, you have to know what the outcome is that you want. So you're engaging in these conversations. Mm -hmm. But if there's not a call to action, it doesn't seem to work as well. But if you can point people back to some place where you can capture them and have a conversation, it tends to work better. Okay. So that's the first piece. The second piece, which is a more traditional B2B sales business, uh, we've got great profiles and we link and interact with people. So we find our target um, market and we find the position specifically that would be interested in how we create value and we connect with them directly. And 
I'll tell you the best way to get results in my experience so far with LinkedIn. It's to use LinkedIn to begin to open that relationship and warm it up, but it needs to be part of a campaign. So I hear a lot of people in sales particularly saying LinkedIn is a better thing to do than cold calling or social media is better than the old traditional methods. And that hasn't been my experience and it hasn't been the experience of the clients that I work with. It's best to think of it as part of a campaign. And can I share one story with you? You certainly can. Okay, so here's one real story uh, of how LinkedIn helped win uh, a million-dollar deal in my recruiting and staffing business. We had a contact that we knew was absolutely right for the work that we do. And we called, and we've sent emails, and we reached out to this particular prospect, and we couldn't get any connection. We couldn't get any response back. But I asked if I could take a stab at, at this individual myself. He was a relatively high-level um, officer within the company. And I sent him a LinkedIn connection. And along with that connection, I sent a note saying, I know your company. We are looking at you. We have other companies that we work with that look a lot like you and that have been through this growth trajectory that you're on now. And I think we have the ability to help you manage your growth and find you the people that you need in these particular segments. I'd love to get together for coffee, learn a little bit about you, and see whether or not there is an opportunity for us to help. And I immediately got a note back saying, that sounds like a great idea. Love to meet with you. Can you be here Tuesday? Um, I took the meeting, of course, and I sat down with the prospect and I said, you know, we've been trying to reach you now for months. We've tried every method that we could think of to get a hold of you. Why did you finally say yes? And he said, because I was able to look at your LinkedIn profile. I was able to look at testimonials. I was able to look at your company and I was able to judge whether or not I really thought you would be somebody worth spending time with. And I get so many calls. I don't really have any idea how to tell whether or not somebody's worth my time, but your LinkedIn profile showed me that you were probably a good bet. That, that, and that, that's what that, it hinged on. That's really interesting, Anthony, isn't it? Because the way you were describing it, at first it begins to sound like the LinkedIn connection request is just like another cold connection request, like a call or an email or a letter. But actually there's a lot more information passed on the LinkedIn request, or at least you make it much easier for people to find out without any difficulty, without having to speak to you on the phone, they can find out more about you just by clicking your profile, you know, your, the, the name and the link, and finding out about you just as your prospect did. Whereas, of course, if you called them, they'd have to go onto Google, they'd have to find you, they'd have to check it out, or it, it, you know, or it's much more difficult for them. So you're just giving them that bit more information that makes elevates it a little bit, I think, from a completely cold call to a to a slightly warm call, and may just give them enough information for them to be willing to take that take that request from you. If they even would ever go into Google and look. I mean, normally yeah. they hit delete on a voicemail or delete on an email that looks like uh, everything else that marketing sends. And I know our friends in marketing think that marketing is the answer to everything. But marketing looks like spam. And something that looks like a person that can create value uh, looks different. And I think here's here's maybe the sin that we're guilty of in sales now. We tell salespeople go and research your client, look at them, study them, understand what their needs are. But you have to remember, they're, they're looking back. So when you connect on LinkedIn, they get a chance to look at you. And so I look at people and their LinkedIn profile isn't complete. It's not very good. It doesn't describe how they create value. There's no real way to connect with them. For some reason, people don't want to put their phone number and things like that in their profile. And they should make sure that their profile is a picture of the way that they create value so that when that client looks back, they see somebody that they see a picture of someone who can help in. 
and that that's really what we're trying to do with all the social tools. Um, I, I don't think it's a shortcut for a real campaign, but it's a critical component to a campaign. It, it's a warmer connection, and it gives you a chance to show people we really think about value creation. We really think about helping clients. We actually help people, and here's proof. And I like the way you said it. It's uh, you have to think about how your profile would be valuable and useful to the actual client. A lot of people, of course, they're very tempted when they first register with LinkedIn because it asks them what are your qualifications and where have you worked before. It looks like a resume. And so even people who wouldn't for a minute be looking for a new job or be sending a resume to people, that's what their LinkedIn profile ends up looking like. Or as you say, they have very little in there at all. Um, And so when a potential client looks at the profile just as yours did, to you, what they see is a resume, how many people you've managed, the budgets you've had, the great achievements you've had, but nothing that would tell them what value you could bring to them. Absolutely, and they are looking back at us, and so mm-hmm. this is this is one of the most important things, and you've got a giant profile on the web where if I want to look up Ian Brody, I can figure out exactly how you can help me in my business because you make it very clear that that's what I do, but it's not clear for your customers when they go to your LinkedIn profile and it just has your work history, and yeah. that's what most of them are. And it's not helpful if you send them to a web page and it's not a, a warmer landing page than the the front page of your, your website. I mean, especially if you work – I mean, I imagine a lot of people listening to this are entrepreneurial. So you have to think deeply about where are you sending to them, and are they going to get a picture of – why am I going to spend my time with this person? How are they going to be valuable to me? And sometimes your front page isn't really the best place to send them to get that information. Very true, very true. And that's true of your Twitter profile. You know, If you do use Facebook, I think many people listening would not be big Facebook users, but uh, if you do use it, and of course, the links on your LinkedIn profile, if they're just going to your homepage, then people are going to see the most generic page on your, web, on, on your site as opposed to you know just thinking okay, someone's been looking at my profile. If they've just looked at my profile, what else would they need to see next? What would give them that next level of information or backup, etc.? And having a specific landing page um, created just for that, that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah, and it's uh, you send them to the least interesting page. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't make sense, but that's what we do. And yeah. I, I think that, that that makes enormous improvements. Mm. Anthony, can I take you back to talking about your, your, your own... Um, entrepreneurial business of, of yourself as sure. a speaker and a, and a trainer um, and how you use LinkedIn groups. So you've got these two things. You've got your own LinkedIn group, which you've built up um, over the years. I'll talk to you about that in a second. In terms of the 40-plus the other LinkedIn groups you go to, um, I think you, men- you mentioned earlier that it, you've got to have some kind of call to action for people and lead them into other ways they can get value from you, like perhaps a link to a blog post. But do you just go, kind of go around and randomly drop a blog post link on, on other people's LinkedIn groups that happen to be related? What, what's your strategy for that? What, what gets the most out of it? I did that for a long time, and it, it didn't work for me. And I've heard this from a lot of other people mm-hmm. who said I, I've spent a lot of time trying to do this. I'll tell you what it did. It drove a lot of traffic, but traffic that didn't turn into any business for me. That's interesting. So, so we feel good about driving the traffic, but what's worked better for me is I've got other people in the community and they'll link to my blog and they'll post that blog post there and then comments start popping in. The best results I've got in engaging and actually turning those interactions into clients 
has been when that engagement occurs and somebody puts a comment in or asks another question, going in and actually getting engaged in that dialogue with the client. And I know there's a bunch of us out there that drop links into 50 LinkedIn groups, um, but then they disappear and they don't engage and they're not answering right. uh, the comments and they're not engaged. But it's that ch chance that you have to get involved in the dialogue and involved in that conversation where you can actually drive people to resources. And again, it's a tool for a softer approach mm -hmm. and not a hard sell. But you can say, look, I've got more information. If this would help you, let me point you to this on my site or this resource or this ebook so that you can move them through your, your process and your funnel um, from we're commenting to we've got some interest to we've got a real call to action and then I can move them someplace where we can we can take that to another level. Okay, so, so what might happen there is, I guess, one of two things. Either someone else starts a discussion thread on, on LinkedIn, you notice that the discussion is in an area where you could say something useful, and you kind of comment on that specific um, post and then say, and if you'd like more details or I've got some further thoughts here, and take them to the, to the blog post. Or were you also hinting that you might also create a discussion yourself but it would actually be a real discussion, not just a link to a blog post. Yes. But the more details would be in the blog post if people wanted to go there. More details, right. And it, it has to be natural. So much of it looks forced to me. Mm -hmm. Like we're um, we're engaging in the conversation because we want to point them to the ebook. Yeah. I think you, in, everybody sees through that. Yeah. They I, also see through this, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many groups you're in, and I imagine you've capped it out. But <laughs> um you you can get 50 webinar invites a week, right? Yeah. And, and and it's not interesting and we're spamming people. And so for my newsletter, I tend to have one call to action in a, in the group message that I send through my group that I manage. And I almost never have a pitch in there at all. It's mostly about can I share some valuable idea with you? Can I point you at somebody else's good resources? Because I want to keep the relationships warm and nurture them. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to bang them all the time for attend my webinar, let me get you into this funnel. Because uh, in my particular space, I'm, I'm dealing with all salespeople, and so they they know when they're being they're pitched. Very, yeah, they're very aware of that. And I think LinkedIn has changed over the last few years, hasn't it? I mean, both of us have used LinkedIn for many years, and I think, let's say three, four, five years ago, it, um, if you went to a LinkedIn group and you put a link to a blog post, um, there weren't many people in the LinkedIn group and not many people were posting links to blog posts so it was kind of oh thanks you know thanks a lot that's great nowadays there are so many people the actual discussions in many linkedin groups has become overtaken with barely relevant links to to blog posts and it's just the weight of it has made a link to a blog post if you don't watch it almost become like spam because there's too many and they're too off topic I have a 15-year-old son, and I've hired him to manage my LinkedIn group uh, <laughs> as a co-manager. So his job is to go into uh, approve what needs to be approved, which is a relatively small number of posts, mm. and then to just delete all the rest of it because it, it could be overrun with spam instantly if if it wasn't managed. So if you're looking at a if you're looking to join a group, what would what would you look for in a group that would tell you this is a good group where I could give value to them and they, they could get value f from me? Now, obviously, you're going to be looking for a group that's talking about a topic that you have something useful to say on and potentially your services help with downstream. But what else would you look for when you took a quick overview of a group that would say, yeah, I think this one could be a good one? I look at uh, who the participants are. That matters. I look at what kind of conversations are going on because some of them have conversations that I'm really not 
a person who has value to add. So I, I don't need to spend time in those groups. And I, I want to stay out of groups where I can't create value. Um, and then I'm also looking at the level of engagement. Is is it really a board full of spam messages where I don't really have a chance to create any kind of interaction or engagement? Mm. Um, and you can see that very clearly now when you look at a group. Yeah. If, it's, if it's a long list where everything's been approved or they just have that setting set so that everything comes through, it's impossibly difficult to get yeah. pulled out of that group and, and engage in something. So I try to stay away from those um, mostly. I, I am in a few that are big groups and they are kind of messy. Yeah, I think the bigger the group gets, the more difficult it, it is to keep it on track if no one's being paid to to manage it. But but that's that's a good point. So so you always go in and look at them and study them first for a little bit, be, uh, because you know that if it's full of just links to blogs and no one commenting and no one discussing, then yours is going to no matter how great your blog post is or your or your comment is or your discussion is, it's going to get lost. That's right. And, you know, I, I've experimented with this, and I would recommend this to the listeners. So you join some groups blindly, and you spend a little time, and you hang around, and you see, is this a place where something good can happen? Is it working? And if it's not, bail out and and join a different group. Yeah. And it's also worth it to start your own group. If you're listening to this, you, managing your own group means you get access um, the one complaint I have about LinkedIn groups is I'm not allowed to capture their email addresses in some way and pull them out. But I can send something to them once a week, so I do have direct access to email that group um, one time a week, and that's been really good for me. Yeah, and you can also, I think you get to send them a, a joining message, don't you? If people join, yes. you can send them a So that message might get them to engage with you closer by connecting with you or you know, going to get your free thing or whatever it might be. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so in terms of managing your own group, um, I think one of the challenges again people have with 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 things like that is if if people are starting now, then for any given topic there's likely to be hundreds of groups already on that topic on LinkedIn. How do you get how do you get a group going and get membership to grow um, without it just being a duplicate of, of other groups and, and and not getting any any people coming along? I'm not sure. I mean, there are a lot of groups, but there are a lot of groups that are ghost towns too. Right. So I don't be intimidated by that. Okay. There's a, a lot of groups out there that there's really nothing being done. There's no value at all. Um, so you, you can displace some of those. But I think if you start a group, what you want to do is reach out to the community you have. I've got a friend, Travis Smith, and he's got a group called Move the Channel. And he's just built a website for that group, Move the Channel. But he's reached out to people that manage channels and channel partners and started to reach out and invite them into the group and ask them to invite their friends and peers into the group. And his group's growing nicely and his community's growing nicely. And it's a small community, but it's a powerful community because they really care about how to be more effective managing a channel strategy. And that's really what you want. You want a group of people, and and I say this, um, I don't know how many Twitter followers you have now. How many is it now? Seven million? No, it's it's ninety six thousand. Oh, think. it's only ninety six thousand. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm twenty eight, but you know that that number is an irrelevant number, it right? It is indeed. Yeah, and, it, and I, in fact, I think you were around at the start, weren't you, Anthony? When uh, I think I said this is just going to be an experiment. I'm going to see how many Twitter followers I can get just to see what happens. It yes, wasn't, it wasn't really a deliberate strategy, but no. it just happened. And then once you've got it, you might as well make something with it. But but as you say, it it it, you know, a huge number of Twitter followers doesn't necessarily mean a whole hill of beams. <laughs> no, so you think I've got tw- 28,500 or something in that neighborhood. So that really means 2,800 that probably care about what yeah, I do. Yeah. 
And it's the same for your group. You really want to use LinkedIn for the people who care about what you do. And I, I always look at things through what I call value creation. It's who can I help the most? Who is going to value the most from what I do? And that's the community that I want to build. And that's the customer base that I want. I want what I call dream clients. And these are yeah. people that when they look at what I do, they say that is breathtaking, jaw-dropping, earth-shattering value, and I'm willing to pay for that. Mm. Um, and if you if you think that this scattershot, every, I want everybody in my group, you don't tend to get those results. And if everybody's your target audience, then no one's your target audience. Yeah. And I don't think they have to worry about size as much as who do you invite in, who's going to participate, who's going to help contribute to a strong group, and how are you going to attract the people that you want there so that if you do have that offering, they're the people who are going to understand what it is you're doing. Yeah, it's really interesting we've got to talking about community building, actually. It's something I'm studying at the minute, and there are a lot of case studies of some very large firms who've made big mistakes trying to start communities because they've tried to go too fast. Um, in, and what they've done is they've started off a community and then they've said, right, well, we're a big company. We need to get 100,000 members of the community by, you know, by a D-Day of January the 24th. And so they invite loads and loads of people. They get, you know, send the invites, they incentivize people to come along, join the community, make a big rah-rah of it. But, of course, everyone gets there and nothing's going on. The community's right. empty, so everyone joins. But then because it's a ghost town, they all leave it, you know, they don't come back. You're much better off starting off, kind of bootstrapping it, and sm- starting off with a very small core of people who are very active, and give them roles, you know, and, and ask them. You were just talking there about inviting people personally, and that means they feel a bit closer connection to you. It's not just a, they found it on a website; they've been invited personally. You ask them to contribute in some way. Can you comment on this? I think your viewpoint would be great on that. Um, and then if you do bring further people in, you know, you're bringing them in with something to do rather than just saying, "Hey." be here you know people are getting active and then that early activity is what keeps the next wave of of people who join in and adds to the activity so it's kind of like a you know it's either like a snowball growing if if people are very active or it's kind of dying if no one's active but it's never it's never kind of static and you know when they get that in personal touch it, i'm an insider now mm-hmm. so now i've got some ownership in the group and it makes me feel completely different about it and it's interesting you use big companies because I spoke to uh, a group this week in D.C. with Chris Brogan as part of uh, his Impact Next, and uh, I said this to them, but you know there are some things that you can't measure in numbers. There's no, you know, and I, I used um, I used sex as an example. No one wants a spreadsheet there, right? Um, <laughs> it, it, it's a meaningful relationship, and there's a meaningful interaction that occurs that we're not going to measure and capture, and we can't count it. So. You know, it, it doesn't lend itself to this, but big companies think more means better necessarily, but it doesn't. Passionate engagement means more than the raw number, and what you really want is people who are going to participate. And so this is true for LinkedIn, it's true for Twitter, but when you're in LinkedIn, you have to think about that. Not everybody's my target. Who is? Who cares? Who do I really want to have meaningful interactions with? Um, because those are what really are going to translate into business for you later on, and it's not necessarily the raw number by itself. Yeah. So, so Anthony, when you when you're doing this, then how do you manage time? Because obviously we're talking about studying groups, inviting people personally, getting engaged, interacting. It's not just uh, if you, if you compare it to Twitter, for example, it depends on how you manage relationships on Twitter, but it is possible. You know, f- to do kind of Twitter in 15 minutes a day by going on, having a few chats. 
um, you know, linking to your latest blog post or something. But it sounds like the LinkedIn strategies you're talking about take a bit more. It does, and I I'm an early riser, so I get up at five o'clock in the morning every day, and I write as soon as I get up in the morning because I do my very best creative work when I have a clean brain and I have psychic RAM and the world hasn't started yet making demands of me. So I do that work. And then I spend my time on social media early in the morning. I try to do as much of that work when I have time to go and look at it before I have to get into other people's agendas and schedules. So I block out the first two hours of the day for the writing and the social media work. Now, I'll dabble in social media later. Hmm. But in fact, I had Chris say something to me this week about, you know, I know when Anthony's doing his social media work because at five o'clock in the morning, you'll see 14 tweets in a row and then he stops and I don't see anything again. But that's when I have time to spend yeah. in the LinkedIn group. I have time to look. I have time to look at who's looked at my profile so I can see what kind of people I'm drawing out that are taking a look to see if they want to engage with me. Um, and I, it gives me a chance to reach back out to them and say, hey, you know, noticed you were here. Uh, but that's done for me in a very distinct block of time. I'm big on blocking time and saying social media belongs in this box because the rest of the day I have to do real value creating work for clients yeah. and I can't dabble here. So I would recommend pick a block of time. Even if it's one day a week, you decide I'm going to put an hour into LinkedIn groups, um, you'll start to figure out what's working and what's not and yeah. where to really put your time. And, and and use your time thoughtfully rather than kind of dabbling two minutes here and two minutes there when you're a bit bored. Um think about what you're going to do and, and, and actually spend a bit of time doing it, researching, interacting, connecting, rather than quickly dipping in when you can't really do very much. Now, that's right. Not, not Twitter's that, a more of a dipping in. Yeah, too. that's right. It's, it's easier to dip in on, on Twitter. Okay. So I think we've covered the personal LinkedIn connections for your recruiting business. We've covered the groups and the and the overall campaigning strategies for your entrepreneurial business, your, spe your, your speaker business. Are there any any kind of shortcuts or uh, or just ways of thinking about LinkedIn that you think, you know, have this in your head and you'll get better results from LinkedIn? I, I've said this on this podcast already, but I'll say it again. Think about who you create value for and what they're going to need to see from you. And I, I talk about this all the time. Buyers go through certain stages they're they're happy and they don't know that they should be dissatisfied so they have what we call latent pain or problems that mm. they don't know they have so if you're gonna put content up a lot of people that are looking at content out there need to be jarred into action because they're in the status quo and then you have people who have some idea that they're dissatisfied but don't know what they need so you need to point some people at things that say are you struggling with this well here's some frameworks for thinking about that so that you can move them to a place where you're creating the kind of value that relates to the problem that they're having. And then as they move through their buying process, they start to try to figure out what options are available. So if you can have content that you can point to in LinkedIn groups that take them back to your site, to your blog post, to your profile, that explain to them, here's how you might make decide about making trade-offs. I want this outcome. What do I need to do? That's good content. And at the end of every buying cycle, and now also at the beginning, there's this proof. Can I really trust you to get me the result? And the story that I told you about the staffing business, that was the first question the client asked instead of the last question mm -hmm. was, can I really trust you? It was, can I really trust that you're a value creator, but I need proof of that. Yeah. So think about how do I get, tell them the story of how I walked somebody 
from their present state to their future state? What were the steps along the way? And how did that turn out from them so that people can see that path and that journey that you can take them on? And you need to develop content that gets people in that, that, that cycle wherever they live and move them through. And I don't think that marketing spends very much time thinking about that buying journey. Um, some, some companies do a brilliant job, but many don't think about that journey at all. So it's all features and benefits, and here's who we are. Rah rah rah, we're great. Yeah, it's all the end, the end part of the journey. But they haven't mm-hmm. co- they haven't woken them up when they need waking up. They haven't engaged them when they're worried about a problem. They're only concerned about is why am I the best when you're looking for a solution. That's right, and so they're missing that, yeah. and and that's what you can think about. And if you're an individual operator. Um, an entrepreneur or you work for a company but you have the ability to to be free to do some of these things if you think about creating that kind of content and making those kind of contributions into the linkedin group it's a shortcut to real engagement excellent excellent i'll tell you how you know i get so many clients that say i felt like you were writing that just for me and i say i was you're the (laughs) only one in the world that has this particular (laughs) challenge that you have right But that, that is just so powerful, isn't it? It is just so powerful where you, you really get people in the gut or the heart rather than just intellectually. Yes. Excellent. Anthony, thank you so much for, for sharing all that with us. Um, this is just brilliant advice that I think everyone, because all the people I think listening to this podcast um, are users of LinkedIn and many, many I know are kind of thinking, well, okay, I've got the basics, but how do I get more from it? And you've just given us some real insights into how to do that. If people want to find out more about you, um, read more of uh, more of your insights, I'm guessing they head over to thesalesblog.com and sign up for your newsletter? Absolutely. Go to thesalesblog.com, watch the video, um, and then sign up for the newsletter for sure. It's Sunday mornings and it's my best content. Excellent. Thank you very much again and see you again soon. Okay, thanks, Ian. Bye-bye.